Hanging on a Tree. That's the title of it, Hanging on a Tree. I thought of that. I, was, I meant to grab one of those ornaments, especially when the women weren't looking at me. I was going to grab one of those ornaments, you know. I just, you know, there's different beliefs about uh, Christmas. I know there's people who think that you shouldn't have a Christmas tree and you shouldn't have Santa Claus and you shouldn't have lights and you and you there's just a bunch of shouldn't in those because it's so commercialized and I get that I respect that but I just don't this is my opinion I'm not going to let the devil have any of my holidays or any of my days no matter what so if you drive by my house it's going to be you you can't miss it it there's a it's glowing you can see it from from the the space station up in there, uh, up in the heavens, because I got lights everywhere, and uh, I, I'm just really big on Christmas. I mean, he's the light of the world. I'm making sure Pueblo West is lit up because of Jesus. And uh, and if you disagree with that, that's fine. I still love you, but you still love me because I, I mean, if you got a big blow up Santa Claus in your front yard, I'm gonna go. That is cool. I'm not one of those guys that, you know, well, you shouldn't have that. No, I mean, my, I mean I'm mean, i just not there. I believe in all of that stuff. I mean, I don't, for Easter, I'm okay with the Easter bunny handing out candy. Okay, but anyway, and, and I just don't let, I celebrate life, and I think the church, don't just get so legalistic that you can't enjoy things. Are you hearing me? I mean, I just love lights. I love, I mean, I love my little grandkids getting up on Santa's lap and just like, take, take a picture. It's so cute. I mean, but it, it's just all good. And I know there's people who say, well, you know, if you, they, if you teach them that, then when they grow up, they won't believe there's a God. But anyway, I, but if you are like that, I'll go ahead and say it. If you are legalistic about stuff like that, that's okay. Just love me in spite of all of our Christmas trees and decorations and my house. Thank you. I know there's, to me, you know, when we decorate our tree. You should see our tree. Well, it's not up yet, but uh, we normally put it up, but it's not up yet. But every year we, we have a lot of uh, reminders that are put on our tree. Uh, like there's pictures of Danielle Love. There's pictures of her when she was this tall, believe it or not. And... Uh, just it just reminds us of things and the boys they have certain little ornaments that you know and we have special ornaments our our first christmas ornament it's just you look at that and it's just like it brings back such great memories uh of our past and uh things that have happened things that god has done for us i mean some of you may not know it but uh melody she she couldn't have any children and uh, she, we, when we lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we went to the specialist there, and uh, they said, uh, I mean, they examined me. Man, oh, that was <laughs> wicked. But anyway, uh, so they just said we couldn't have any children, and then we moved to Pueblo years later, and uh, uh, she went to a specialist here. She says, you know, we're going to want to have a child. I said, we're going to have a child. And she says, we're going to have a child. And the doctor said, no, you're not going to have a child. You can't have children. And uh, so we were married for 10 years, and then Jared was born. And it, so, and then we weren't even trying to have faith. We were believing God and everything. And then she got pregnant a few months later, and Joel came along. And then I said, okay, we're done. 
No more believing for anything else. Okay, we're done. Really done. But um, I, God is just so good about giving you the desires of your heart, blessing you, causing life to be sweet. And God, and, and speaking of sweets, that's another great thing about Christmas. <laughs> Forgot about that. You know, all of that. Oh, yeah. And all the men said. Amen. And all the women said. Amen. And everybody else said. That's in case you don't know what you are. But anyway, um, I just love sweets at Christmas, Easter, birthdays, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I love sweets. But anyway, um, uh, I just know that God has been so good to the body of Christ. and, And a lot of times we don't have that perception of how good he really is. And uh, oh, there's another thing right there. I saw your face. You and Angela. Look at me, Angela. God wants you to put a stake in the ground. God has told me to put stakes in the ground for certain things. Like in my foundation, I got a stake in the ground that no matter what, I know that God is good. You cannot change my mind no matter what. You say, well, what this happened? You don't know what happened to me. No, my stake's already. It is so. It goes to the center of the earth. Can't be moved. God wants you all to know that you're a team. No matter what, the stake needs to be put in the ground. No matter what the circumstances are going on, you're a team. Whether you're teaching marriage, whether you're teaching anything, you're a team. One that nothing can separate. Amen. 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 What else? I don't know. You should have been here in the first service. But anyway. (laughs) The story of Jesus just gives hope to the world. As long as we believe in Jesus, you have hope. And there's times that it seems like hopelessness, uh, whether it's financial, whether it's a health reason, whether it's a relationship. No matter, there's times in all of our life, there's just times that it just seems like all hope is gone. And um, the Lord just wants you to really know during this holiday season, don't you just love holidays? I mean... I'm the most giddy. I'm worse than the kids. I am. Melody says she gave up on me growing up anyway. So uh, I just know that there's so much hope that God wants his people to have. And it's not hope like the world. The world is like, oh, I hope this happens, you know, but really it's just like 50 feet. Hope is a great expectation that it will happen. That's the God kind of hope. And the... The title of today's message is Hanging on a Tree. Is like we, we hang ornaments up, and it gives us great feelings. I mean, nobody puts up, you know, bad memories. I mean, uh, I mean, this may not be funny. You don't have a picture of your ex on the tree. <laughs> or your, okay, I shouldn't have went there. But anyway, I thought it would have been funny. There's times I think things are funny, and it just goes, <laughs> But um, you put things on there that are good memories, things that are good. And God wants you to know that Jesus hung on the ultimate tree. And that is such a great memory for the body of Christ that because of that, we have the greatest hope and expectation that anybody can possibly ever have. 
And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the Passion Translation says, To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. Uh, the Living Bible says this, I know very well how foolish it sounds to those who are lost when, they're, when they hear what Jesus died to save them. But we who are saved recognize this message as the very power of God. The very power of God. There is things inside every one of you today that you should just be so happy about. And some of those are like the gifts underneath the tree. You don't know what it is, but it's got your name on it. How many, when you were a kid, you could be if you're an adult, but how many when you were a kid, you saw your name on the tree and you would wake up in the middle of the night and you would run or sneak out to the tree, untaped ever so slightly, and peek into it, and then tape it back up. Just be honest. Hey, who did that? Let me see your hand. Oh. Some of you could be liars. I'm just checking. I did that. And then you got just so excited because then Christmas, it never came fast enough because you knew I wanted to play with that today. And I was just anticipating, anticipating, anticipating. It's not like, oh, I know what this is. I was just ecstatic even when I opened it. They never knew. To my knowledge, they could have known. But uh, I just knew that I know what this is, and I'm going to get to unwrap it on Christmas. We, have, we celebrate Christmas, Christmas Eve night, you know. Uh, and so I was just so happy about it. And this is, this is what the Lord wants all of you all to know today. That's, there's all kinds of stuff wrapped up inside you, all of you all. And the good news is you don't have to wait to December 24th, December 25th, or whenever to unwrap it. January 1st, whenever you open it. I don't know. There's things. There's gifts. There's things inside of you that God wants you to know that he's placed in all of us. There's things that cause you to have hope. There's things inside of you that you may not even understand. There's things inside of me. I still, I mean, I, I'm a young 60. And there's still things that I unwrap inside of me. I thought, man, the Lord says, before the foundation of the earth, I wrapped that for you. Before the earth was ever created, I'm destined and have things placed inside all of my kids. And everybody that's ever been born, God places things in them. I said this at the first service, that God speaks to all of us. He speaks to all of us. And, I, and, and this comes to a shock to some people. He even speaks to people who don't even know him. He speaks to people who don't even believe in him. You know, king, if you look at King Cyrus in the Old Testament, there's many kings that were not the Jewish kings. They were just kings that took over plots of land, took over Israel, that God spoke to them. God moved upon them to do something. God did that, but they didn't even know it was God. God doesn't have a problem with that. He just wants things that everybody on the planet to know. I'm speaking no matter what. You're all my creation. Isn't that, God is just so neat. I mean, I used to think that, you know, if you know God, then you, you, you come up to a higher standard with God. He, he kind of 
you're more special to him. No. All of, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved Christians. It doesn't say for God so loved Christians that Christians are special to God. No, God loves everybody. He died while we were yet sinners. That's how much he loves people. So the, the Lord's just been working on me, you know, that to, to love the, the ugliest heathen in, in the world. Just to love people. The mean ones. The ones that look like, wow, you, you just look mean just standing there. You just look mean. I don't know if you're a believer, but you just look mean. God says, yeah, that's my creation. I created him. I created her. God wants, that's the jewel of God. God is not love. He is love. He doesn't contain love, in other words. He just, he can't help but love everybody. And the Lord says, I'm inside of you, so that should be your testimony as well. Should be your testimony as well. To love everybody. To love everybody. But the cross changed everything, did it not? I, I, I'm going to try to talk about this just a little bit. You know, when, when Jesus was crucified, there was no Bible. There was no Bible that was assembled together. There were scrolls here and scrolls there, but there was not really a Bible that was assembled together. Luke was one of the first ones to start writing a letter, and he didn't start writing like, I'm writing a Bible. He was writing for a friend, uh, Theophilus, who was evidently a well-known person uh, in the community. He says, I've heard about this Jesus. I would like to know about him. So for 30 years, Luke wrote and documented in a letter what went on with Jesus. And if you look in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account a letter or document, that's what that means, of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He said, I'm not the only one. He realized there were many people that were writing letters and documents about what happened with this whole Jesus story. And I don't know about you, but there's not, back in that time, do you know how many people were illiterate when Jesus was on the planet? The majority of the people could not read. Majority of the people couldn't read. So why would you want to write a document unless it was something that you knew that was so important that it had to be documented for even a handful of people to be able to read? In verse 2, it says this. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So by that term, excellent Theophilus, he was somebody. He was probably a well-known person, maybe a wealthy person, a landowner or something, but he was well-known. And Luke was saying that this was something that changed everything because 
you, you have to remember when Jesus was crucified and he died, everybody thought it was game over. Do you realize that none of his disciples buried him? Now, he said right before he was crucified, he says, you're all going to forsake me. And that's when Peter stood up and said, not me. I'm not going to. I will never forsake you. And Jesus just corrected him and said, you're going to deny me. Not only will you forsake me, you're going to even deny that you even knew me. And here is Jesus. He's been the most important time of the history of all eternity past and eternity future. It's the most important time. This tree that we're talking about today, he was hanging on. All of his disciples forsook him. John was the only one at the cross. John was. But even he did not help in his burial. Everybody just left. And it says in Luke chapter 23, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices, perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. At this moment in time, there's no church. There is no church. There is no hope of restoration. Nobody was anticipating on the third day that Jesus was going to be resurrected, even though... Jesus told everybody. He said that time and time again. If you read the Gospels, he says, and I'm going to be crucified in three days. I'm going to raise from the dead. It was just like <laughs> three days. I'm going to be raised from the dead. So I don't know about you, but on Easter morning when we celebrate 2,000 years ago, there should have been hundreds, maybe even thousands of people waiting at the tomb when it was pitch black dark, just looking over the horizon toward the east, ready to cue the sun, ready, one, two, three, and it pops up, the stones rolled away, and Jesus get ready, the orchestra band starts to play, and people are shouting, and yes, this is the day. How many know that didn't happen? How many know that there was no one there on resurrection morning for an expectation for him to be raised from the dead? No one had any hope. No one had any hope about the church coming alive and Jesus was going to fulfill. All they knew is this, that Rome had once again won. That the legalistic Pharisees and Sadducees had crushed any hope out of them of the kingdom of God. All was lost. No hope whatsoever. And if you look at the story, you just think, man, what a way to start. <laughs> you start by nobody standing with you. You start with no really anybody believing in what you said. The disciples traveled with him for three years. How about the people he healed, miraculously healed? You would think just being grateful, they would have showed up just for, well, I don't believe it's going to happen, but, you know, I'm going to be here anyway. Nobody was there. Mary just came to do her burial type thing, not expecting any kind of expectation that he was going to be raised from the dead. 
my point is this. Just this story gives me hope. And I'm going to explain why. I didn't mean to go here in my message, but I went there in the first service, and I thought, I'm going to go there again. So when Jesus hung on a cross, he said these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I preached all of my life. I've been taught all of my life that God forsook Jesus because he couldn't look on sin. Because Jesus was made sin. How many of you have heard that? You heard that? That's why God uh, forsook him. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God. I mean, I have preached on Easter morning that message that God couldn't look on Jesus because he was made sin so we could be set free. There's a problem with that. There's many problems with that. But the major problem is this. If God can't look on sin, he ain't looking at anybody on the planet. Unless there's somebody perfect here. Is there anybody perfect here? I know you're close. She's pretty close. But, I mean, God, that means God couldn't unite or become one with anybody then if it's a sin issue. So that has to be false. Furthermore, if you read on from the crucifixion story, later on when Jesus, right before he gives up, before he dies, what does he say? Father, into your hands do I commit my spirit. Wait, 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 wait. If he really believed that God forsook him, why did he say that? You know, it's vitally important that you and I understand some things about the Bible. It wasn't written to 2019 Western mindset mentality. It was a book written 2,000 years ago. And it was written 2,000 years ago. It embraced the culture of 2,000 years ago. It didn't embrace the culture of the United States of America, 2019. That's why people get it wrong when they read a scripture about women and say, there you go, women shouldn't speak in church. It says it right there. It wasn't written to people in 2019 in America. What was the culture back at that time? What was he saying? The point is this, is that if you take some things that will seem very foreign to you and to me and read it at face value, you're going to miss it bad. So is something so strange as women should be kept silent in church? Everybody keep looking for it. She said that. I didn't. Did you hear what she said? Good luck with that. I, I was kind of thinking that, but I, I'm married. But anyway, you, God wants you to know that why would common sense thinking say, I've got this operation called the church, but I'm only going to use 50% of it. I don't know about you, but I'm a businessman type guy, and that wouldn't just be smart. That'd be dumb, stupid. So you got to embrace what was going on. I'm not, that's not part of my message, but you got to understand what the culture was. And when you dig into the culture, you go, oh, I understand. But then you can't take that and bring it to 2019. And if woman, but no, nope, 
probably get a frying pan upside your head anyway. So, I mean, but, you know, you just don't go there. You got to understand this. So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalms 22, verse 1. He didn't quote the whole chapter. He just quoted the first scripture in Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? He quoted that scripture. Why did he quote that scripture? Did he really believe that God forsook him? No, he did not. First of all, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that, first of all, God doesn't look at any of our sins, but it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God the Father, I get a picture of this, was reconciling the world, making everything right so heaven and earth could become one. That's what he's meaning. Did you hear that? So heaven and earth can become one. God, the way to get that done was God was going to be inside Christ making that happen. So it's real difficult to separate the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, when they're all one. It's impossible. Did you hear that? I said it's impossible to separate the Trinity. God was in Jesus making this all happen. Did you get that? So if you want to look on Jesus who has pierced hands, I'm going to go one further. God has pierced hands. The Holy Ghost has pierced hands. Just a thought. It's a true thought, though, because they're one. God was inside of Jesus this whole time. So why did Jesus say, why have you forsaken me? The Jewish culture at that time was this. If I would say, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want What psalm comes to your mind? It's not a trick question. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The 23rd Psalms, you just know that. Tom, Dick, and Harry knows Psalms 23. You can never darken a church door and you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. People know that and they know Psalms 23. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Jewish people, because of the culture at that time, they knew a handful of psalms by heart, word for word. Psalms 22, at that time, that culture, they knew that whole chapter. And if you go on, we're not going to read the whole chapter for time's sake. But in that chapter, it goes about three-fourths away down. He says, I know you've never forsaken me. But that whole chapter is about the crucifixion of the coming Messiah. So what Jesus was doing... This is called love. He said, I know none of you believe me. None of you believe me. But I'm going to quote something to help you out. I'm going to give you something so that you know I am the one. So he gave them Psalms 22. So when he sat there and said this, it was like ding, 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 ding. They knew word for word what it was. And that chapter is a prophecy of Jesus being crucified. Read it sometime in the Passion Translation. Psalms 22. It's so awesome. And so Jesus, God, he's always reaching out to you and to me and people of the world. 
He is his, and I even go one better. You know, people say, well, what about the wrath of God? If you look at, if you have to, again, look in the, man, I'm just going everywhere today. If you look at the Hebrew meaning of wrath, you and I think it's, you want dad's wrath? You put a scratch on my car. The wrath of dad. And so we think wrath in that mentality, the Jewish culture, what wrath means, it means anguish. It's a strong passion, and the root of it is love. You better watch God's going to judge you. The only reason God judges is for the good. That's why I say when you take the Lord's Supper, you know, I always took the Lord's Supper, you know, communion. I took it with, holy cow, it's already time. It, it, I always took it like, man, I, God's going to judge me. No, you're supposed to judge to see if there's any good that God has done. And realize that he's paid for your sin, paid for your sickness. That's judging. That's how we're supposed to. Sometimes I just think. Man, God, sometimes we just mess things up. We're, we're always thinking about God's going to pour out his wrath. And God's going to judge me. And God's, he says, you got it all wrong, Mike. His goodness. His goodness. Anyway, I, I, I don't have time to go into it. But the whole movement of the church started without there ever being a Bible. It took Luke... 30 years, and by the way, he's the author of Acts. He's the author of Acts, and uh, he wrote Acts as well. And uh, he says this in Acts chapter, where is it, Chelsea? 2, Acts 2.32. God has raised this Jesus. This is Paul talking to Caiaphas, and Luke is documenting it. Luke writes down, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witness of it. What changed from nobody standing and waiting at the tomb, having no hope, having no kingdom of God mentality, what changed? That's what changed. He said, we witnessed the raising of Jesus. We saw Jesus after his resurrection. He went to all, Jesus didn't just go to a handful of people. The Bible says he, he visited over 500 people after his resurrection. Not just the disciples, over 500 people. He just showed up to people and started, I'm the one. And people go, you're alive. That event is what changed everything. And the reason we have that event is because of the birth that we're celebrating this month. But the birth happened for the event to take place so there could be hope. When it didn't look like there was any hope, there was nobody standing there with Jesus. Nobody believing. Nobody believed. I mean, you would have think even somebody should have helped take his body down and put him in the tomb. It was Joseph, some, some guy who wasn't a, a major follower. But he loved Jesus, and he did that for him. I don't know about you, but that just makes me feel like, oh, Jesus didn't have anybody. He didn't. 
this is what he said to his disciples. You all will forsake me, but I'm not forsaken because he's never going to leave me. So don't let yourself, I mean, sometimes you like me, do you get in a pity party sometimes? I don't know if anybody loves me. I don't know. Everything's going wrong. It's just life is a bowl of cherries, but this is the pits. I mean, you just get there. And you... The Lord reminded me this week. He says, Mike, when you think all is gone and there's no hope and it just seems like you're being crushed, just like at the time of the, church, the, the disciples, the Roman Empire won again. They won. The religious leaders, they won. They crushed Jesus in this movement. It looked like it was all crushed. The movement was finished. But that powerful song we sang when I was in church growing up, up from the grave he arose. He arose and he showed himself to people and it changed everything. And Luke document, he started, there was no documentation before that. Nobody was writing it down. But after the resurrection, the Bible says many people started documenting it. Luke documented it. Matthew, he wrote a letter. John wrote a letter. Mark actually wrote a letter. But the, the history says that Mark's letter was actually Peter's uh, letter, and Mark was dictating it because Peter was illiterate. Really? Who would have thought that? But uh, that he, he couldn't write, so Peter... Uh, Peter dictated to Mark and Mark wrote the letter out. But the letters got together and for the first 300 years there was not even a Bible. There was these these four letters being circulated. And then uh, in the mid-300s there was such uh, persecution that came against the church at that time, all documents were supposed to be burned. If you were having any kind of meetings, your house would be burned, your children and everybody would be killed. The church at that particular time was one of the strongest persecutions. But the church flourished and grew. It, it grew out of an empty tomb. Something transpired called the resurrection. The tree, the greatest tree on the planet... Something came of that and caused the church to explode and nobody could stop it. Not even persecution, death, or burning people's houses down. And there was such a mighty love of God that was manifested around the end of 300 and something. uh, the, The Roman Empire took notice of this. Constantine took notice of this. And Christianity became the religion of the day. Changed it flip-flopped it. And so at that particular time is when all the writers and scholars got together and they started putting the books, the letters together, which we have the Bible today. It's an amazing thing. Something you think, there's no way this is going to happen. There's no way this is going to take off. I'm telling you, because, but God. Dad Hagemar says this. He says his favorite phrase in the Bible is that. But God. Can't have any children, but God. Can't get a good job in Pueblo, but God. My relationship with my spouse is going to hell in a handbasket, but God. I've been divorced and nobody ever wants me, but God. You kids, I can't do well in school, but God. 
No matter what, I don't care how bad it is where it seems like there's no hope. Uh, you know, the doctors give you six months to live, but God. They said, this is an incurable disease, but God. But God. If you look at the birth and the crucifixion and, and all of this Jesus stuff, it doesn't really look good on paper. You look at it and say, man, nobody, nobody was waiting at the tomb. Nobody. You know why? Nobody believed it. Nobody believed the words of Jesus on the planet. I don't know about you, but that is just horrible. But God was not in a tizzy. He wasn't upset that nobody believed it. You know what? That's encouraging. There's times I get mad at myself, and I think, man, I just don't believe it. I mean, I, I should believe it. I'm a pastor. I need to believe this. I need to believe in this, and I need to believe in that. And I just think, God, just forgive me. I'm sorry. He goes, I don't have a problem with that. Just think about the crucifixion and the resurrection. You think I got a problem with you not believing sometimes, Mike? I don't have a problem with that. He says, I'm still going to get the job done. Did you hear me? God's going to get the job done for you. He's going to get the job done for me. You know, there's so many times I just dropped the ball. It's really not up to you. Just keep looking at him. He'll work out the details. He will work out the details. I don't have to figure it out. I just go, well, but God. Today, just know that. You don't have to get it all figured out. There's times that you may doubt. There's times that you may have unbelief. There's times that you may just fail. And I know this is probably odd coming from a pastor, but God is saying, it's okay. I'm still sitting on the throne. I'm still your father, and I live in you. I will never forsake you, never forget you, never give you up. I will never, ever leave you. Let's stand. Praise God. Aren't you thankful? Being the time of Thanksgiving, I'm thankful. Most of my life, I always tried to love God more. I, I, I say this. I'm going to say it to you. I said it at the first service. The greatest prayer that I pray for Rocky Mountain Family Church. You want to know what the greatest prayer is I pray for you guys? I don't even pray... You know, Lord, I just pray that I have such a greater hunger for you. And just and I know that's good. I've prayed that before in the past. You know what is the greatest prayer that I pray for you? God, open up all of our eyes to see how much you love us. To see how much you love us. Because that love is what changed everything. That love is what changes you and me on a daily basis. It's how much he loves us. It's not how much you love him. Because there's times that, oh, I feel like I love him. Don't you love God better some days than others? Be real. I mean, there's some days that I think, uh, there's days in my past I, didn't, I think, God who? I mean, I didn't even pray. I didn't read. I didn't think about God. Have you ever went through a whole day and didn't even think about God? I have. And let me just... But you know, you have too. You've went through days where God was nowhere up here at all. Nowhere up here at all. 
And so I feel like, oh, man, God, does that just make you feel like dirt or whatever? He goes, no. Our relationship, listen to this. This is a newsflash. Our relationship with God is not based upon how much you love him, but our relationship is based upon how much he loves you. And if you understand that and have a revelation of that, it will change your life. I thought my love for him is what's going to change my life. God says, you got it all wrong, Mike. You have it wrong. What will change your life is having a revelation of how much I love you. That is what it's all about. That's what life is all about. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness, for your mercy. But most of all, God, I pray that all of us, even our children, would have a greater understanding for God so loved them. In particular, not just generically, but God. You love every single person, and you know their name. You know how many hairs are numbered on their head for those that don't even have any. He knows everything about you. That's how much he loves each and every one of us. God, my prayer for 2020 is that we will have a supernatural vision of how much you love us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.